Good evening, guys. This is Caleb with the Stain and Seal Expert Podcast. Glad you could join us. We're getting started just a few minutes behind just due to some technical difficulties. But we got Kenny Dugan, the Stain Man, in the background here in the backstage waiting to come on with us. Uh, just want to thanks everybody for watching. And first thing, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to us. If you are um, on Facebook, make sure you check out the Staining University Facebook page. And I'm going to go over just a couple of quick housekeeping things before we get started. Staining University, I'll have somebody drop it in the comments section for February 24th, 25th, and 26th, um, is in 2022. Sorry, somebody said something and got my attention. Um, February 24th through 26th in 2022 here in Nashville is going to be the big event. So if you haven't signed up for that, go ahead and get signed up. And let's get rolling. Here is Kenny Dugan. Kenny, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Everybody, you're our number one most requested guest. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I was kind of shocked by that as well. It, uh, I saw you posted that. I think I was up in Kansas at the time. And I saw you posted that, and I was like, wow. A lot of people want to hear, I don't know what I got to say, but we'll talk about something, huh? Yeah, that's the way it is, man. That's... Uh, <laughs> You never know what you never, you just don't know. So, so tell us who you are, man, and, and how this whole, tell us your story. Where does, where did the stain, where does the stain man story begin? Well, yeah, kind of, I mean, I've been watching your podcasts and, uh, you know, listening to everybody's stories, how they got started and stuff. And to be honest with you, is anticlimactic. It's not as crazy as a lot of people's. Um, I started started off in 2004, probably like a lot of people did. I was a warrior just doing it um, part-time. Uh, I had a full-time job. I was traveling a lot. And it was, uh, to be honest with you, I owned a boat. And there's two exciting times in a owner's life, and that's when they buy it and when they sell it. And mm -hmm. I bought a pressure washer to clean that boat. And at the time, I think I spent like four or 500 bucks on that pressure washer. And I was like, okay, I need, I need to do something to pay that pressure washer off. Cause at the time I thought that was an expensive pressure washer. Um, and now it's, you know, that's not. So, um, I started doing uh, pressure washing and one of my clients signed me up on Angie's list. And that was back when contractors didn't have to pay for, uh, Angie's list. You, you basically just got on it and, uh, that's when the homeowner paid for the service. Uh, once I got onto it, it just kind of took off from there. Uh, I wasn't in when I started. So I started off as DFW pressure washing. Um, and then it wasn't, huh. and that was the first two years that I was doing this part time. Um, once I jumped to it full time in 2006, uh, I started building decks, started building fences and stuff. And I became DFW deck and fence restoration. And Ooh. did that till running, I was building fences, building decks, staining. So I'd build in the winter time. That's when I build all my, so from uh, September, October timeframe to March, April timeframe, I was just building. Uh, then I, in the summertime, I went over into uh, staining and I would rotate that. And that lasted up until uh, the summer of 2010 when I ran my hand through a table saw. And I decided I'm done with power tools. And so 
I backed off of, of building. Um, I still was doing some small builds at the time, but um, 2012 rolls around, and the owner of Stainman, the company, approached uh, me. He had some some issues he was running into and, and needed some help, and so I um, I was starting. I helped him out a little bit, um, and then in 2013, him and his wife respecting a baby and he decided to sell the company and so he uh he contacted me he listed it for sale he contacted me i made an offer he accepted and uh since then i've been known as stain man so all i do now is is uh, exterior wood restoration repairs uh i will do some builds but it has to be somebody i like <laughs> Uh, I don't ties it. I don't just like you. It's I got mm -hmm. tired of building. It's yeah. it's one of those things where uh, if I, if I, like I said, if I'm going to build, it's somebody I like, um, somebody I've known for maybe a past client or something like that. But now it's it's primarily uh, just staining and sealing. So that's me in a nutshell. It's not very exciting. <laughs> that's that's usually the way it goes. You know, it's we fall into these things and. I'm going to tape something on my screen so I can see. We fall into these things and, and it just it is what it is. I would have. Yeah. Did, yeah, you probably like me. I never thought I'd be in the stain business and probably the same as what. So what was the career before you said you were traveling a lot? What did you do before? I worked for Johnson and Johnson Healthcare Systems, and we managed HR uh, wellness websites and stuff like that. Um, so I was. I was, so I had, I think it was 50, I want to say 57 accounts crossing from New York to Seattle and all over the place. And I was traveling every week. I was traveling. That was when my daughter was young. Uh, she was just getting into sports and, uh, it, it was around the time they started, uh, doing layoffs. That's when layoffs started occurring and, um, I don't know if I was the lucky one that got laid off or if I was the unfortunate one that got laid off, but I got laid off in December. Uh, and that following, uh, what was it? February was when I went full tilt with it. So it, uh, I spent a lot of time in the office. I had a home office, spent a lot of time in Reno, Nevada. <laughs> and, uh, as a young individual in Reno, Nevada, it doesn't mix too well. <laughs> you spend a lot of time at the, at the poker tables. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. So it sounds like this, this staining for, for you is a lot like other guys give you some freedom and some, some time with the family. And that's obviously important. It, so it, yes, yes. And no, it's so, uh, when I first started, I had five crews. I had two build crews, staying crew, including myself. Um, and just like a lot of people, I've, I was, I had big plans and then I started coaching my daughter. Uh, she played basketball, I didn't chat, but then she got into soccer and I was getting phone calls on the weekends during games on the sideline and uh, my crews were out working and then I just decided I, it's much, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it does take away a lot of your time, but that was one of the reasons why I got into uh, my own business was so I could have more time with her, spend more time with her. Um, and I quickly realized that um, if you don't run your business, if you let your business run you, 
it, it you'll run into the same issues. And so yeah. I see a lot of people who, um, when they jump on or jump into business, they're working, you know, 12, 13 hour days and working the weekends and, and stuff like that. And I just sit back and I'm like, man, you, you have to run your business. Don't let it run you. <clears throat> and, uh, it, I mean, it could, it, it can take a toll on, on, uh, you know, your family relationships or, or your relationships with family. So, uh, that was one thing that I quickly nipped in the bud was I'm not working weekends anymore. And, uh, mm -hmm. when, when it was time to be with my child, it was, <laughs> I was, I was, I, the phone went silent. So that's well, what that, I think that's for. a, yeah, I think that's a good lesson. A lot of people need to hear. That is for sure. So, you know, so many people wanted to to hear this this from you. So I'm a little bit almost. Um, somebody said, "Don't choke," and I'm and I'm almost like I don't want to choke this. I want to make sure we get everything that everybody wants to cover. So hopefully, those listening and watching can put their questions in the box if they got one. But um, do you? I don't think we really need to go with shallow stuff. I, I would say. Let me ask you a couple questions and then let's just see where it goes. Is that all right? Yeah. So that'll work. question question number one, how has the staining industry changed since you started in it? How has the staining industry changed since I started? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, to me, it, look at it from, from when I first started to where I'm at now. I don't see a huge change. I know a lot of people will talk about a, a big change. It's it's changed. I know the VOC laws have, have changed and uh, you have some things that are, are different than what they were before. You know, when I first started, so I started off, I was using Olympic. Uh, that was a brand I was using. Um, I started off up sprayer and a pressure washer. <clears throat> and um, it was... A lot of VOCs, a lot of solvent-based uh, um, stains. And then what year was it? 2008, was it? I think it was 2008. Yeah, 07 One of those years came through. And, yeah, they, they changed the, you know, the regulations and stuff. And, and now you're seeing less of that, that high VOC stain, I, which I think is, is awesome. I... I I really like that. Um, but as far as a big change to me, I, you know, keep your boots on the ground and keep going type thing and, and don't yeah. worry about what's happening on around you. But um, I, that's kind of the, the biggest change I've seen is, is VOCs. Uh, how the, I know a lot of your coatings are changing. Um, you have companies, your bigger companies are buying out your smaller companies or smaller brands uh, and changing the formulas. And it's, in some cases it, it improves the formulas, but in most cases it, it, it kind of devalues the formula that they had before. Um, we're starting to get more, starting to see more of the, uh, and I think uh, Ever Abrams, um, I'm gonna drop his name. He missed, few months back, maybe several months back, um, how some of your coatings are starting to change and we have to, we have to figure out how to, how to deal with those, how to maintain those. 
And that's one of the uh, big things that we're starting to see now is, is those coatings are coming through that were put on, you know, six, seven years ago or better. Now we're having to deal with those. And mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the, the things that, that I'm starting to see in the industry. Uh, not real happy with it, but it's one of those things. Yeah. One, one trend I've noticed is that as I go around the country talking to people, I'll meet people that they say, oh, we used to do wood 20 years ago. And they'll tell me what they did 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and it sounds just like what we're doing today. And so nothing it, new under the sun. see a lot of similarities. Um, you know, when I grew up, a lot of, a lot of people just use motor oil and diesel fuel to stain mm -hmm. with. And, you know, that was, if, you know, a shovel that we need to stain, we just go get the old tractor oil and, and diesel fuel, mix it together, and that's what we put on there. There's still people today that still do that. It's, yeah. I mean, it's frowned upon by the EPA, but it's still being done. So, yeah, um, yeah it's very common out in the country. And if you, if you look at it, you know, your oil-based stains are, they're not an exact formula of that, but it's a, it's a kind of a same route. You have your, your oil base, uh, your oil, and then you, you have your solvent or your diesel fuel. So it's a, um, it's kind of a, it's the updated version of use motor oil and diesel fuel is what it is. So. Yeah, they, they, they would make a blend three ways in our neck of the woods. They would add transmission fluid to it. Give you that nice redwood look. Yep. Yep. That's common. That is common. What would you say would make our industry better? I think <clears throat> probably if we can get, and you see this a lot in your uh, pressure training groups um you're gonna get a lot of of trainings a lot of of um expos and you you see them to be honest with you, you see them in a lot of industries uh mm -hmm. pain industries have them uh you you have them in the fencing industry uh they're on these big expos but you really don't see it much with the staining industry and and we're kind of the uh we're that we're the the black sheep of the family. So it, we don't really have our, we're not a painter. We're not a fencer. And I think you've mentioned that don't build fences. We don't paint houses. We're in the middle of that. And we don't have, um, we don't have the, I don't know what the, the behind, uh, or, the expo and i'm just gonna we, just, we don't have expos going on you put one on a big one a nice one on once a year but other than that it's it's these little smaller ones that you do other than that we don't really see any that that put together yeah. you know 10 20 vendors that people can show up to and and you know learn from or, i agree or, you know get information on yeah that's that's the way it is what's that We're I said, that's, you're very right. That's so true. We're hoping to change that. And that's just the way it is. So that leads, leads me into the next question. Cause you kind of alluded to something there. Um, what is, here's a question that I've been pondering on what, so I'll tell you a story first. You've, you've heard of 
certain stories probably from time to time where they say, well, in the, in the Aborigines language, there's no word for stutter. So nobody stutters or there's no word for this. So it doesn't exist there. What, what is our industry called? What are we? We're, you know, you have plumbers, you have electricians, you have linemen. What in the world are we? Yeah. And I think the wizard wood should, should definitely pipe in on that question. Cause that's, that's a, like if if we don't name it, then do we do we even exist? We I really feel like this industry needs a name. Well, yeah, you and and I think I forget who mentioned this a while ago, a few weeks ago. You know, when you get your insurance, what do you classify it as? Yep. I mean, you there go is as no a painter. Painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's it's we really don't have a classification as far as is. You know what we do we where are you going to be that yellow phone book uh are you going to be under painting are you going to be under um you Fence. know yard service landscaping whatever yeah. so yeah that's a that's a good question yeah it's, that's um, one i've been thinking on for quite some time yeah because if you i mean think about it <clears throat> if you had to hire somebody to well, if you hire somebody to put your house, you're going to hire a painter. If you have to hire somebody to stain your kitchen cabinets, you're going to hire a painter. Um, but then when you step into the outside world, and that's one of the things that uh, I noticed I was getting into, well, you know, painters do a lot of, of fence staining. And it's yeah. you, nothing wrong with it. I mean, you have landscape companies, pressure washer guys, uh, everybody's doing a lot of of um fence staining and deck staining and there's really like you said there's no classification but it is it is an industry that's growing um uh but yeah it's i mean you can throw the tag of exterior wood restoration but now you're getting a pretty long tag on there so yeah it would be so plumber or painter i'll tell i'll tell you one stain mint Stainman, yeah. A, a stainman is not a bad one. It's kind of like a lineman, a stainman. Uh, that would work well for you. What about, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a funny one that people, some people, power washers, that that their expertise was wood, they called themselves woodies. And they would get together and talk, and they, they called themselves woodies. I don't know if that works, but that's what some people used to call it. So that's a thought. Say that again. You're breaking up there on your mic. If I can. So some power wash guys and gals that used to do that used to do a lot of wood stuff, they would call themselves woodies. Sounds like you've got a delay. Or I've got a delay. I do. Hold on. I'm I'm switching my phone on to try to uh get a better signal from you hopefully it works <clears throat> all right try to repeat that question see what happens so you you're sounding a whole lot better but back in the day a lot of folks that did power washing that that specialized in wood and then ceiling they called themselves woodies 
I don't know that that name translates to the consumer marketplace, but Woody. Yeah, here's one right here. Somebody said, I'm a Woody from North Arkansas or North Little Rock, Arkansas. Yep. yep. Some people are Woodies. That's neat. I, uh, I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, every, every, I'm going to, geez, this is not even working for me here. But every, every industry has your little, um, your names that you're going to tell everybody. Again, uh, in Woody's, geez, that would be a, I don't know if it worked in the stain industry, but it, uh, yeah. It, it, it's almost You'd have could to find be... something that sounds professional, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it, uh, it, it gets the point across if that makes sense. Yeah. And that one, that one could be, could err on the side of, of, uh, unprofessional sometimes. So that's what makes it tough. But yeah, that's just, uh, what are we? And once we figure out what we are, I think it'll, it'll make it easier to do these expos to get that category in the phone book. So let's see, where do you see, or where would you like to see the industry in five or 10 years? What do you think's next? What's coming? I thought about that question a lot today. Um, because I've read an article or I saw something, I think you're watching sites was, um, what's happening in California with small engines, how they're, um, yeah, going all electric. They're banning those. And mm -hmm. you get to thinking if we have to deal with that and if it grows out of California, we have to deal with that. Now you have to, you have to create a coating or something that's going to be a lot easier to make. And if you're, if you're going to have to start stripping a lot and using machines that do that, you, you, and you don't have those, those you have something, uh, you have a whole different ball of wax to roll around in. So, uh, I, I think that's something that's going to, I know it's going to affect the pressure washing industry. You know, they're mm -hmm. helping out there in California of how to do that. You, I think it's going to be a snowball effect. Yeah. And <clears throat> where if we can't use a lot of chemicals in order to, um, um, to get what we don't get done, get done. You, you have to offset that with pressure. And, and as we know in the wood industry, um, we don't want to use a whole lot of pressure, but because of that, you start stepping up your, your chemical usage. And <clears throat> once you start doing that, it's, it's almost a, you're fighting a double-edged sword. So, um, you know, we don't want to, I, I just personally think that that's, you know, them banning small, small engines for pressure washers and, and, and such. I think it is probably going to lead to a hard, uh, a hard uh, future for uh, especially pressure washers, but, uh, but in the, 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 you know, wood restoration business. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. You, you've got to go to electric motors and electric and water is not something that, but I, I think we will see some innovation out of it. We'll definitely see some new stuff hit the market that we haven't seen before. So we'll see what happens. The question is, is, is Texas and Tennessee and Georgia and Utah or all these places, Oklahoma, are they going to go along with these rules? Because um, I think they can make federal mandates, but they can't really. It's got to be at the state level, doesn't it? So um, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it I, I've, if all the states or I, I don't think all the states are going to follow it, but it's it's just those things where I mean they're starting to move electric cars and electric vehicles, which I think is great, but you know you have to get power to those somehow. And you know it's I think I was reading that in California they're banning all small engines lower than I think it was twenty five horsepower. Hmm. And so if they do that and you, and they let's say just for the escape industry let's say everybody goes over to electric well now they got to charge those how are they going to charge those well they're probably going to have a generator that's a big generator sitting on the back of the truck that's going to be running to charge the battery for the leaf doors and and whatever so i find a way around it but it's it's just like with everything they'll, they'll find a way around it and everybody will will have their opinions about it and um, it's it's kind of like the oil versus water based stains. Um, you know, everybody has their opinions about it, and which you know, there's no perfect stain out there. But uh, but yeah, I I think we will. I don't in five or ten years. I don't think there's going to be really any big. But then again, I'm I'm not the ones creating the stains you're the you're the one that's doing all that so you could probably answer that question better than i can i don't know i, I have big ideas man and so <laughs> whether they'll come true or not you never know but i just look at the two biggest problems that stainers face and it's wind and weather and if we can find a way to deal with those i think we can be on to something um and when i say weather i mean water moisture more if we can deal with moisture and wind those are our two big problems. So, um, something to think about, but you never know. You never know what will happen. So here's, I don't have any questions yet, but here's one that everybody probably wants to know. I'll, I'll ask you the crazy one, but if, if somebody had a thousand dollars in a, and they had a, already owned a pickup truck, what should they buy to start standing? Everybody wants to know what equipment to get. So what would you recommend if they had a thousand bucks to get started? And let's say they, they were going to do fences and decks. They were just going to go go into it and rent what they could and buy what they could as they could afford to buy it. Um, I mean, that's a hard question. I don't want to say it's a hard question to answer, but I'm assuming uh, all the office stuff is taken <laughs> care of. So whether that be insurance or, uh, you know, marketing and all that stuff, make sure that's all taken care of but uh, you know if, if you thousand dollars where to start i would probably the same way i did just a pressure washer um i would go out looking for decks decks are the easy ones i don't want to say they're the easy ones but they require the least amount of equipment 
if that makes sense. So if you can get a pressure, it doesn't have to be fancy. I know um, your, your pressure washer group's going to say, hey, let's, uh, you want to spend at least 15 grand or $1,500 on a, on a uh, pressure washer. If you're just getting started, you don't have a business, don't waste all your money on something that you don't know if you'll be successful at. So um, I would say jump in, uh, go grab you a pressure washer. Um, maybe spend $500 on pressure washers. Um, what else? You know, your gas cans, get you a couple pump up, uh, pump up sprayers, get your chemical, then go out there and, and sell a deck. Um, mm -hmm. because you can, you can apply with the brush rollers, you can apply with those and get the job. It's going to take you a little bit longer, but, um, but that's what I would do is, is I would start off with, with index and get pressure washer. And once you get a few jobs under your belt, then you're going to be able to go out and get you an airless sprayer. And, and I get asked, so I, I have 12 volts machines. I have the SD 250. I have airless, you know, which one's, which one's the best to start off with your best bet is to just go buy airless. That way you can do water-based solid coatings and you can do oil-based coatings. 12 volts, you won't be able to do your solid-based coating. Uh, you can't bury, if you have an old, you can't bury it in a solid uh, with a 12 volt or with the ST250. So I always recommend getting you a, a, an airless. And so if you can afford that in that thousand dollars, be an airless in there and it doesn't again it doesn't have to be a nice Graco brand new off the shelf it can you can go down to the second hands for jump on marketplace and, and find you you want one that's going to yep. last you a couple three months maybe yeah and you're just yep. going to put that money back into the company and 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 grow from there you don't want to i've seen a lot of people who their first job they make a thousand dollars and then you know they're down at the casino burning it all on blackjack and steak dinner so you gotta you gotta reinvest that if you if you want it to work so i agree with that and i like i like the way you went with that but you're right decks are the number one thing to go what's the deck staining market like there in dallas you know we always hear it's the fence staining capital of the world everybody does fences what's it like uh, what's the deck industry as far as the coatings go look like there and how competitive is it compared to the fencing side my, I see, I probably get two or three phone calls a month on decks. I don't, I don't get a whole lot of them. Um, I do a lot of new deck stainings. I, uh, I did a deck staining. Uh, I have one scheduled. We'll get back after Thanksgiving. So I stain two or three decks a month. It's not as big as what it is uh, up north. I mean, and up north is, is just the opposite of it is down here. You know, you a lot of folks up north have fences but they have decks so mm -hmm. um here in in dallas it's i'm i'm gonna say i'm running 90 percent fences and then five percent decks five pergolas overhead work walt's different dennis does a lot of overhead work um but he's good at it so uh so would, but would yeah, you I say more Go ahead. Would you would you say that of of those two or three decks, because it's um, less demand for it, is it is competitive? For instance, on pricing as as fencing is in Dallas. 
on on is a deck is are are guys as cutthroat or competitive on decking as they are on fencing when it comes to staining there? I would say they are. I mean, here in Dallas, it's there's a lot of of stainers, so I'm gonna have to a lot of stainers, and so it really, you know, it's it's. I would say so, because um, because I've gone up on bids of uh, on decks where they're wanting to charge, you know, two dollars a foot to wash and stain. I I can't compete with that. So, so <clears throat> I I don't think it's limited to just um, to just fences. I know fences is a cutthroat. Uh, yeah. Poor, but. I think it's just staining in general is, is cutthroat, no matter what it is, whether it's uh, patio covers, pergolas, <clears throat> um, decks, fences, you name it. It's And matter of fact, uh, I will say this. So it's pretty much in any industry. You, uh, I'm a member of a, another page that's specifically here in Fort Worth. Some of the prices you see for painting or landscaping or whatever you know you some guy could post something and within 30 minutes he's going to have 900 different offers that 25 percent of what would normally charge and so it's it's a cutthroat market is what it is and, and it's with anything so um but but yeah as far as as you know saying decks are are <clears throat> competitive i would say at least with, with what i'm seeing it is <clears throat> i enjoy doing, doing them uh, but i don't enjoy doing them that much so yeah i'm not gonna yeah yeah so a lot of folks don't know that um the, you know dallas is very competitive when it comes to staining so we got a couple questions and i got a crazy one here i'm gonna let you answer if anybody can answer this you can what so kerplunk on youtube says Wood stain in my house. I'm guessing it. I'm guessing on my house. He says it smells cheesy. Any suggestions? I hope that's a real question. Um, I'm trying to think of a of a, a coating that might smell like. I'm guessing he's got a linseed product. What do you think? In my house, it smells cheesy. Any suggestion? Yeah, I have. Um... I've never had that smell. And it might depend on what you're about. Are we talking blue or talking Swiss? What are we talking about? I've yeah. never had that issue. Um, I'm I'm thinking it's I'm thinking it's a linseed product. If you go out on the west coast and smell anything that's been stained within six months with anything with linseed in it, it's got a super distinct smell. And it's not a solvent smell. Let me let me grab something real quick. Kenny's going to grab some cheese and some linseed oil. We're going to see. Ugh. Oh, then again, maybe not. Yeah, it's a linseed product. It nope, smells of cheese on. and nut. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely linseed. He said it's a linseed product. It smells like cheese and nuts. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's yep. a linseed oil. Pretty typical. Pretty typical smell. And, I mean, it's almost saying, a good smell. So it's in my house. If it's the stain in his house, 
I mean, I've seen people who they use seed oil on so have um, like cedar paneling or something like that on bathrooms and stuff like that. Um, they'll use linseed oil on, on that. They'll use it on furniture and stuff like that. One of the things you have to be careful with is make sure you dispose of those rags properly. Yep. It, uh, that stuff will light on fire without, well, it'll smoke mm -hmm. a little more light fire, but yeah. What's sure, the flash point like 80 uh, or a hundred degrees. It's pretty low. Does it say yeah. on your can there? Yeah. That he may be able to put a clear coat over it, a, a, a gloss or a matte clear might fix that problem or at least help. I kind of like the smell of it, but I don't think I'd like it in my living room. So, Will Hershorn. I do, but it's one of those. Go ahead, Kenny. I didn't mean to cut <clears throat> you off. So, you like the. Okay. What we'll question are we moving. looking at now? Uh, Will Hershorn, he said uh, it's the opposite here in San Antonio. So he's from San Antonio Stain and Seal. They're 80% decks, arbors, and patio covers, and 20% fences. And um, let's see. We've been sanding. Oh, here's yeah, one Will for you. Yeah, Will had a lot of decks down there. Yeah. We need to have Will come on the show. Christopher Rainbolt says, we have been sanding a deck. Spots that were previously smooth are furring up again. Do you have any suggestions for something like that? We've been sanding a deck. Spots that were previously smooth. So uh, are, are we washing this again? Is that what, what's going on? Be interesting, Chris, if, if you can respond to that. Uh it's washing it again sometimes i guess i mean i've never had you know sanding on a deck that i've, I've sanded and then when we stained it, it it was still smooth but if 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 you're saying it was furring up again you know a couple causes that that or you know things that point towards that cause that and that's uh that could be uh prep or it could be chemical so All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing perhaps that, that the, the fuzz just got knocked down and laid flat. And then over time it's standing back up is most likely what it is. I'm guessing just probably wasn't sanded good enough. Um, Will probably knows that when he does so many moisture decks. seven to 10%. The wood is grainy. What could, is this? Um, uh, is this heater number? Grainy and soft. It might be seven or ten percent. It's just about yeah. got to be cedar. It has a softer grain. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I haven't with strip with it. With okay, eight ounce a gallon. Stripped acrylic. Stripped in like an acrylic, wrenched like crazy, and it's still fuzzing up. I mean, you you might have to. It sounds like you're not getting all the fuzz off to begin with, is what it sounds like. So it sounds like after you rinsed it, hit it with the. So you stripped it, rinsed it, put oxalic on it, and uh, and now you're going into the sanding process. Oh, my thumb was in the way. Sorry about that. Um, you're going into the sanding process. 
it sounds like um, you, you're just not getting all that fuzz off to begin. Sometimes over on you, and uh, uh, it's half log siding. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. I would. Okay, so it's time for an Osborne brush. Is that what you would use on a on a log? So on log siding, I'm I'm going to step away from the sander, um, and I'm going to bring an Osborne brush on there. Yeah, that's what I would do. But uh, I'm not a I'm not expert at, at log siding. <laughs> that's one of those things where uh, I get a lot of questions on it, and uh, mm -hmm. it's I haven't done nearly enough to to be real comfortable with with answering questions on that. But I mean, in a nutshell, you're you're siding is not too far away from a deck so but um it just sounds to me like you're you have a i mean if it's fern back how old is this yeah most most guys that are doing log homes they're just buffing them out they call it buffing and they're using they're using osborne brushes and then and then these uh 3m um they're like uh not a brillo pad but a uh scotch bright on a on a the same way that's on the, on the grinder. And, and I see them just go to town on that. And so that may be, may be a good, good way to keep going with that. Grainy and soft is unusual. I would say for log home, I guess it's pine. It's gotta be pine. So maybe soft. I don't know how soft it is. We got some logs out here and uh, they're, they're pretty hard and they're pine. Yep. Trial yeah, and error. Some, Chris. some woods. I've seen some years or some woods that uh, where that soft grain, it'll get into a, uh, I don't know if it's a, the rotting process or it just gets real soft. And every time you touch it, it just kind of, um, and it's not a fur, it's almost like a, a soft splinter that's, and when it gets to that point, I've seen it on some decks. Um, and when it gets to that point, I'm just replacing lumber at that point. So, yeah. But if you go into log siding, that, uh, yeah, that's a whole different ball of wax. That's, that's uh, <laughs> an expensive project. Yeah. So here's what I would do. We got to get Stanton on. I'm going to put a link to the Facebook group. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash staining university and uh, look up, look, ask that question in the group, and you're going to have several guys that do cabins will answer that and show some, show some pictures. I think some pictures would help. Will's got a question. I think geared, geared for you, uh, Kenny, are you finding that HOAs are wanting solid stains for subdivision fences? I guess, I guess he means more, more than the past. Um, we have some HOAs up here that they do like that solid color. But it's more of um, they've been sold that solid color. Mm -hmm. So we have some, you know, HOAs are going to have your requirements as far as colors are concerned. And the downfall to it is HOAs are like private organizations. And so they can make these uh, guidelines, restrictions that you have to go by. Um, and it, it, it really does, I, I mean, it's not the best for, for wood uh, or, or 
you know, the fences or, or whatever structures, but it's, it's the things that we have more up here that require um, oil base and we do water base. But um, yeah, down in San Diego, and I've been down for a few years. I think Austin might be the same way, and somebody might have to jump in on that. There, where they use more water base down in in Austin and on their HOA. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of your HOAs are going to go with with materials that you can find at Home Depot or Lowe's. Yeah. So you got the you in in Dallas. You got the big boy there. You got Ready Seal, who's been there for so long and then you got the a couple others wood defender and ready or bakers and and then lots of other smaller ones that are putting a lot of there's a lot of oil base being pushed in that market in dallas so i've seen driving through dallas i've seen some solid but i think i think other areas probably where will is is going to be more so because they're buying what's at home depot there and you know hoas if they can get away with not washing they're going to if they can get a you know if they can get a cheaper bid they're going to usually take it. And Walt Dennis says a lot of HOAs that he deals with just use Home Depot stain. So yeah, probably a whole lot of water yep. base going on. But I think you you nailed it yeah, and you said that's, it. you that's, said you said they've been sold water base solid and I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, generally that how it. It'll off. Um, <clears throat> my dog is going to freak out here pretty soon. So if you if you hear a dog barking in the background, it's him. He thinks it's dinner time. I already fed him. So, but um, but yeah, you you have um, you have whether it's a painter or a, a builder, a contractor, whatever they sold them on. Yeah, use this color because you can get it at Home Depot. And, and that's what they use. Uh, there are some HOAs here in DFW where um, Ready Seal, and like you mentioned, we so DFW, you have, I mean, there's, you have Wood Defender, Ready Seal, Bakers, Hugh Miller, Smitty's. There's tons of different stains that are manufactured here in the DFW area. And majority of your HOAs are going to go with one of those colors. Um, a lot of, of HOAs that that push the uh, Ready Seal, um, I've had I have a few HOAs that push Wood Defender. Nothing wrong with those those brands. They're they're not. I don't use them all the time, um, and I I restrict my use to to when I use those. I use them uh, during those HOA jobs. So it's uh, yeah. If if you're not in a market that has a stain manufacturer. Odds are it's going to be something that you can pick up at Home Depot or Lowe's, um, and and it's just it's I think it's more just for the ease of the homeowner. If the homeowner yeah. wants to do it themselves, they can just go to Home Depot pick it up. Yeah, and and there's something to be said about solid water base. They are super easy to apply. I know a lot of people are scared to death of water base, but water based solids are it's about as easy as it gets. So that's that's the way it goes here i've got a crazy uh question for you kenny what is something people don't know 
that just absolutely drives you crazy, specifically in the stain bin. It's something that you just know is so obvious to you, but other people don't know it, and it drives you nuts. Uh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> for the new guy, I mean, there's a lot of shit there. Uh, for the new guy, you know, when I, I, I sometimes I get asked some questions that I sit back and I go, man, that information is just sitting out there ready for you to take it. Um, but I really don't think there's one big item or or anything out there that really drives me crazy. At one point in time, I was, I was a, a beginner as well. So I had tons of questions. I was, <laughs> I tell you what, the first fence I did, it, it was around a pool. I was using cabots and I stained pool equipment. I got stained on the, on the, um, on the pipe and everything. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, so I was eager to learn and everything. So, you know, <clears throat> I don't think there. I don't think there's really anything that's not out there. I mean, pricing. That would probably be the big thing that I would go after. I would say pricing, and it's not. I don't want to say it's based off of what your market is. I think it's based off of what you need to price yourself at, and I think that's one thing that. Are, it bites a lot of people, uh, especially here in DFW. So we have this throat market and people are taught, uh, here's, here's a price that you want to go out. Here's the, the average price here in DFW. So um, people go with that price. And then they spend all this money on equipment and uh, marketing and everything. And the next thing you know, they're out of business in six months. And it's because they weren't seeing a profit on what they thought was profitable entry. And uh, I think a lot of people, and you see it on these Facebook groups, <clears throat> hey, what should I charge? Well, you need to charge what you should charge in order for you to make this. <clears throat> I, I can't tell you, I can tell you what the average price is, but mm -hmm. for me to know what your overhead is, is for me to know what you got to make per hour. I know the cost of living in, you know, Las Vegas. So for you to, uh, for you to go off of, of pricing based off of somebody in a, in a froth state, <clears throat> it's just, it's odds are it's going to drive you out of business. And I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day about how, contractors, standing contractors here. I've seen a lot of companies start and I've seen a lot of companies fail and it's, um, a, a lot of it has to do with pricing. And that's that I, I wish people would not, not that we have to standardize a pricing, not that we have to go in and say, Hey, everybody charge 95 cents a square foot on fences. You, you just, Hey, everybody needs to know what their overhead is and what their operating expenses and costs are in order to sell your price. 
It doesn't have to be as cheap as me. It doesn't have to be as expensive, but you just need to know what you need to make in order to survive. And, and a lot of companies just don't, don't grab onto that concept. So I think that's the biggest thing that drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Pricing cost of goods sold. Know what it is. Double it. 50% margin. That's, that's, I think so many yeah. other industries are doing that and that's, that's how you grow. You can't grow with less margins than that. You just can't do it. Um, so somebody's asking, I think this is me a question. Does your butyl boost contain an emulsifier to keep hydroxide and butyl from separating? Um, that sounds like some false advertisement from some, somewhere. Gen generally speaking, butyl is used as an emulsifier. Um, so we don't add an extra emulsifier in the butyl booster. I don't know if some other brands are saying that or not, but we've never had hydroxide. We've never had stripper of any kind and butyl separate. Have you had that problem? I think I know where he's going with this. So sometimes when you mix your hydroxide and your butyl together, it separates. Uh, you'll, you'll get that. <clears throat> uh, what I use, um, I mean, if you put some, it's going to help. Um, it's going to help with it, but you can also put in uh, a little bit of antifreeze. And it's going to help with it as well. So antifreeze, so propylene glycol. Yeah. So you're, you're looking for a co-solvent is what, is what you're looking for. So you're looking for something that's going to help your alcohols and your base chemicals. You're going to look for something to help those come together. And, um, you know, uh, let's see, I get butyl from south side equipment separates from yeah so you you look into chris look into co-solvents and uh, i mean i'd like to give you the the exact answer but um look into solvents how they work um and, and the same thing goes with um with surfactants and how they work so um yeah, somebody said cornstarch. Cornstarch will help as well. Uh, you're you're basically looking for something that's going to take your alcohols and something that's going to take your water, and you need something here in the middle. We're going to use this cap in the middle, and you need something to bond onto the water, bond onto the alcohol, and then allows it to float around and stay suspended like that. And that's what you're looking for. So uh, surfactants are are good for that. Co-solvents are good for that. Uh, like I said, I use, uh, when I'm mixing mine, I use, um, I put surfactants in mine. I don't do a ton of surfactants, um, but I do that. Matter of fact, if you look at um, uh, degreasers, you know, a lot of degreasers have butyl and hydroxide in them. Um, some use metasilicate, but they use a ton of surfactants. And so what you got to do is you got to find that tipping point of surfactants in order to get them to stay suspended versus touch to where you're creating a bubble bath when you're, when you're cleaning the woods. I'll do some experiments with that and see. I think what we're selling is a little different from um, because that number two, buto, however you say that, is sort of 
almost a trade secret name. And there's about five or six chemicals that can fall into that. And we just need to test it and see how that works. Um, yeah. We, so ours is red. Our stripper's red and we don't get separation. And if it, I would think that it would separate color-wise too if, if there was. I'm not sure. We'll just test it and find out. Um, we mix ours 10 to 25%. Usually they're going strong and they just go 25% of the batch. So if they're mixing a two gallon or a one gallon pump up sprayer, they'll put one quart um, of butyl, three quarts of water, and then they're, they're eight ounces of uh, stripper. I will find out about that though. I have never seen it. I have never seen it separate, but I'm a desk jockey most of the time. So take that for what it's worth. Cornstarch though. That's interesting. Cornstarch right. is going to take in and thicken it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's going to, um, it's going to where it clings on to a, a vertical surface a little better. I, I don't use cornstarch in mine, um, but it's, it's just going to thicken it up a little bit better. So if you use a surfactant in there and it's a good surfactant, um, you're going to get a little bit more sticking power with that. Um, and again, it, it kind of depends on what you're trying to strip. You know, some coatings today are um, are you need a little bit stronger than just a hydroxide-based uh, stripper. So you're you're going to have to get over into your solvent-based strippers. But um, I've all gone by the rule of thumb. To me, I'm not I'm not putting a stripper on it. So if I'm going to, if I'm, if I have a fence I got to do or a pergola patio cover above my, then I'm just, I'm, I'm going to bury it in a salt. Um, if, if they do want it stripped, it's going to be one of those things where it'd be cheaper for you to rebuild than it would be for me to throw chemicals up above my head and, and try to get it back to where it would be. So yep. that's something that, yeah, if, if uh, increase the viscosity of it, then yeah, throw some, I would throw some cornstarch in there. It'll help thicken it up. Again, one of the issues is the more, the more ingredients you add into it, the less, or the, you're, you're going to get results are going to be altered a little bit. Not that it really matters a whole lot, uh, because you're you're really you're probably not gonna um, you're probably not gonna get a whole lot of you're gonna have to sand anyway. <laughs> so it comes down to yeah. to one of those you know you you shoot for the ninety ten rule, try to get ninety percent of it off, and then you're gonna have to sand uh, the remaining ten percent. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we we Looking don't do this on. We we don't run into a lot of strips. For fencing we we just we just don't do them but we stripped a fence i think this week but most decks we we use that mix i talked about earlier and it five minutes it'll take off a semi-trans or a solid water base and we're not having issues with it um i'm kind of curious what he's stripping i guess he's just having to keep it mixed up it's a problem i'm wondering if it's not separating have you seen it separate on the surface after it's after it's put on there kenny no, I think I think he's referring to in inside the in the in, in the, the container. pump up sprayer, but it's yeah. 
Yeah, it's I, I I've seen it happen before, but it's after you let it set for a while, it'll separate, and you can see the line in the two. Um, matter of fact, uh, I don't have it. It's out in the truck, but you can if you have your so your red color and then your butyl in there. If you let it set long enough. It'll turn like one will be pink and the other one will have a red, uh, a darker color to it. So I think it's just a, yeah, just letting it set there. If, if you shake it, spread it. I've done some jobs to where I mixed it up and I sprayed just hydroxide on it. And then it, it wasn't doing what I was hoping for it to do. And then I just went back and just sprayed doodle over the top of it. Um, and it's worked, but it's, I wouldn't suggest doing it. Um, yeah. you get more foaming action when you, when you do it that route, but, but yeah, um, I've had it before. Nice. Nice. Interesting. I like those questions. I want more questions like that. Let's see. No more questions. Well, let me ask you this question. For, for a lot of the new guys listening, because this question comes up all the time on the on the staining group is and, and you get both sides of the coin. What is your ritual for cleaning your sprayer out, your airless sprayer? Let's talk about filters and the gun filters in the machine. What's that? What's that process look like for you and how often? So I have two different processes with uh, one being water based, one being oil based. And so with my oil-based equipment i don't clean it out except for the filters um and so i basically have two sets of filters um i'll pull those out at the end of the week or uh if i start feeling that it's it's bogging down on me i'll pull those filters out throw them in mineral spirits and i'll put two new ones in uh, and i rotate those back and forth so that's all i do with my oil-based uh, equipment with water-based equipment, I I just run Dawn soap and water through it, flush it out, and then I um, I flush it out, start seeing clear water, and that's it. So you, you have a lot of people who they after every job they're running mineral spirits through their equipment. Um, when I first started running airless or spraying anything, I'd never leave mineral spirits in your your equipment because it's bad for the seals, and so I've always gone with that. Um, and then, so I, I took my, this was about a year ago. I took my 390 to the shop to have him look at, and, uh, I was talking to the guy and I said, you know what? I, I never flush this machine. It's the stain just always stays in there. I've never replaced the piston in it. And he goes, well, why is because the stain you're using is the waste. So there's really no reason to. Um, the only issue that you're going to run into is any trash that you pick up or your pigment settling. So I'm sure you've probably seen it where you gun and you lay it down and then all the pigment settle that bottom side of the filter housing. Um, and then when you take the filter out, you got a bunch of pigments that are that have, have hardened up on the bottom side of that. So really the only thing I is Again, I just swap filters out every every week. I I'm rotating my filters, and then that's all I'm doing. 
I did help Joe Evers when we were up there in Springfield. I helped his crew clean out his 395. And it was, I don't think they ever changed the filters in that thing. But, yeah, uh, I don't think. but yeah. Yeah, so it looks like multiple my, people uh, saying the same thing. Yeah, for the um, for my twelve volts wrinkles through it, I, I flush it with water. So when I get done, I I use a, a twelve gallon bucket. I just look completely full of water, and I'm flushing it with twelve gallons, um, and that's just a um, just to flush the chemicals out of it. And that's all I do on that. And when I winterize that stuff, I use RV antifreeze. Um, the, the antifreeze has some type of lubricant in it that helps with everything inside those 12 volt pumps and so it uh i, I that's what i use to to store my my 12 volt pumps but i i keep it into a, a gallon container and so i'll just when i'm done with the job and flush my my 12 volt i'll stick it down in there and then pump that into the hose and everything so it doesn't freeze up over the winter time but during the summertime i don't run antifreeze through it it's just straight water fleshed out so sounds about like everybody else everybody's doing the same stuff it looks like will down in san antonio he says he never cleans his oil machines but he does clean out the water based machines every day we do the same thing yep change water change filters. you have to and i made the mistake yeah i made the mistake one time of not cleaning up a water base after a job and it was a matter of fact hey i just threw the hose away i was able to get the gun clean and the machine clean but the hose i was like yeah we're we're getting a whole new hose that was early off career and you had to work for that didn't you you had to work to get that clean on on the 12 yeah. volt pumps i My used to ST just sorry about that kenny Tell us about that ST250, how you clean that one. My ST250, I had um, <laughs> had a guy run. So it has the tanks that you, you can run through. It has a siphon that you can run through also. And I had one of my guys send him out to do a solid color job, and he tried to use the ST50 to spray a solid color, sucked it up into the hose, didn't tell me about it, and... I had to spend a while trying to clean that thing up Ooh. and that was a, that was a mess. <laughs> mm, that's no good. Do you use two separate machines for water or oil base or do you intermix? I have, yeah, I, I use separate machines. I, I try not to, to uh, mix my machines just because that when you oil base stain with oil base or water basing or water base anything uh it's gonna gel up on you and it's kind of a pain to 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 work with so i'll take in uh right now my 390 is set up for water base my uh, 395 is up for oil base um in 12 volts i i will only spray water based coatings with my 12 volts just use uh oil based coatings with it but those are fairly simple to flush out. So, um, but yeah, I have separate machines. Um, 
and yeah, this is Walt asking us. A lot of people, if you're not doing a lot of water-based jobs, let's say you only do two or three um, uh, a month, I wouldn't go out and spend a whole lot of money on an uh, expensive water-based. I would just go out and uh, just go out, get you a cheap one. Um, no use in, in spending a lot of money on something that you're not going to make a lot of money off in the wrong. So something like that, if you have a nice machine, a 390, 395, 490, 495, whatever, um, go out and buy you a, uh, go out and buy you a, a, a machine from Harbor Freight or, or something like that. $200, $300 one that you can, you just want to make sure you flush it with, with water. And so, Oh, cool. I figured out how to, uh, look at there. I'm moving up in the world. I can, I can get the, I can get the, that's cool. I'm a, I'm a stain guy learning this technology. So bear with me, but we can get the comments up on the screen now. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, here we go. <clears throat> yep. So, so you're seeing it now too. We, so here's something I used to do. That's kind of a weird tip. I, the 12 volt pumps I used to um, when I used it to stain, I would just let it blow the line out and they're actually air pumps. So they would just blow and completely flush the line out. Do you ever do that when you're spraying oil? So instead of flush it, I'm just letting it, letting it run air through. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, I used to do that. So I'd pull the drop stick out and then just let it run and it would, it would eventually start to air out. Um, and then there for a while I had a, just a small air compressor in the truck and I would blow, I would actually take it, put a deal in there and blow the uh, air through it. Um, I got tired of carrying an air compressor around. So, um, so yeah, now it's just, when I'm done, I, I know I rinse a job after, after I spray the chemical. But when I, when I'm done with, with the 12 volt machine, I'm just, like I said, running water. If I'm, if I'm going to store it, I generally like to put that antifreeze in it just because it has some type of lubricant in it. Uh, I mean, it's good for your, your arc engines and your truck engines. Uh, I really, it can't hurt the, uh, a 12 volt pump. So, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yep. That's good practice. It's about that time of year for us to do that as well. So we'll ask a question. How are you dealing with getting employees these days? That's our biggest challenge that we have. I have 16 guys for years, but I'm, I need 10 more. And he looks like he's having a hard time getting them. Got any recommendations? <laughs> well, you're asking the wrong guy. <clears throat> I fired all of mine. <laughs> I haven't. I, so I'm a, I'm a one man show. Uh, the only time I, I hire on extra help, I, I subcontract the work. Um, and that's been the easiest way for me, um, have my method as far as when do I hire new guys. And especially here in DFW, I could, like I mentioned before, I could put a post out there and within 30 minutes I can have 900 people saying we'll do it. So it's, I subcontract all that work out, um, if, if I need to, but yeah, it's, um, 
<laughs> That's a good question. Well, you're going to have to maybe Caleb, maybe you can answer that. We are making ourselves more attractive as an employer. So we're getting, we're doing health insurance. We're doing vision insurance next year. We hope to do retirement and dental. I mean, that's just, we're just trying to become more, more competitive, you know? So we're paying competitive wages. We're getting the benefits and, you know, we're flexible. I think, I think the, so, so my generation, I'm a millennial, I'm 33, but, but my generation tends to people my age and younger tend to be more of, of the, um, they'd rather just have freedom and not work as many hours. And they just want to do what they want to do where the way I was raised was basically you go to the center of the ring every day and you fight when the bell rings and you get knocked down, you get back up and you do it every day over and over and over. And you, if you got to work till dark, you work till dark. If you got to work Saturday, you work Saturday. And so I'm having to, and Will's probably the same way. You're probably the same way. You're a Kansas farm boy. So you're probably the same way, right? So I have just had to change my expectations and now we're working, you know, at four, four thirty. our guys, usually the trucks are here and they're headed home. Uh, we don't work Saturdays anymore. And so we just have to raise our price so that we can make it work, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. I found the, um, I found the same thing that, um, and I had this, I forget who I had this conversation with, but we were talking about working on weekends, working late nights. And my theory on it is if, if I'm, if I'm at home and, and I have somebody that wants to work in my, I really don't want somebody working in my backyard on a, on a weekend. I just, that's what my weekends are for is for me to be back there. And so I try to, give courtesy to my customer. Um, and if I had a bunch of employees, I would give the same courtesy to them to grow just as I am. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I'm going to make, I'm, I'm not going to make always work on the weekend. I'm not going to make them work late at night. It's, Hey, get home, get, get, go, go see your family. That's what it's all about. And, uh, um, I, I think this in the, the issue with with our industry, especially, and it, I'm sure you see this all over floor. It's probably the same way with with the pressure washing. So you have people who want to charge minimum prices. We can only afford to pay minimum wage, and until we start increasing prices in order to afford a higher wage we're probably not going to uh, a worker out there who, who wants to push your company forward. And that's, you, you really want your employer, your team to not push your company for you, but for themselves. So the employees that I had, uh, I think all but one of them started their own staying company. And that was kind of my, I, I, I ran on it. But it was one of those things that I was kind of proud of that after they left from working with me, they started their own staying company. Um, and I thought, hey, that's great. You know, I, I, at least I taught them something. 
Um, but it, it came down to the point of I couldn't pay him anymore. They were maxed out on or to pay him unless I started taking my prices and not getting any jobs. Um, yeah. And so I got him to that point to where they were able to go out on own and, and, and work for that's what a lot of people are afraid of. They're afraid of losing employees. And if you're afraid of losing employees, you're just going to step up and, and strain them more. And fortunately, uh, <laughs> Chad Johnson makes me not want to have any employees. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things I don't want employees. It's just that, uh, I mean, that's, that's what it, uh, it came down to. And the nice thing I, I like about not having them, and, and I, I don't want to uh, steer anybody away from, from growing your company, getting bigger. I, and I, I started off small, like I said, got to five crews. And then when my daughter started playing sports, that's when I, I dropped off. And since then, I haven't, I've gotten comfortable with the fact of, Hey, if I'm only going to work four hours today, I'm, I'm going to go out and knock a, a small job out and I'm done for the rest of the day. So I've gotten to that age or to that point now to where <clears throat> I just don't want to grow real big. If you're young and you have a lot of energy and, and motivation for it, I, I encourage you to. Um, but I'm kind of at that point where, yeah, I'm comfortable. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, what would you say to the employee who's working for a fence company or a stain company or power wash company that wants more money? What would you say to that guy? Um, motivation or uh, what would you tell him? I had uh, uh, similar. So I had a guy, he moved here from California um, and he was staining. He was actually using the same stain that I use. And, uh, I hired him on, well, I didn't hire him on, we were subbing him out and he came and he asked for a lot more money and <clears throat> I didn't fire him. I didn't say, yeah, tough luck. Uh, I just said, if, in order for you to make more money, you're going to have to step up and start doing more stuff. So we have to put more responsibility onto you and that's going to require a few more hours. So it's you know, my crews, they were doing two jobs a day, they a job in the morning job in the afternoon and whether it was a wash in the morning or stay in the afternoon or vice versa or two stains or whatever. So it, they weren't working 10 hour days. They were just, he was working maybe six hour days. And so it was one of those things where I said, here's what you're going to have to do. We'll put you into a sales role. And if, of course he lived on a different part of town than I did. And so it was, I get any phone calls from your area, you're going to go out, you're going to do the measurements, you're going to do all that. And that's how you're going to, you know, increase your, your profit. So, or increase your income, say. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, again, when we talk about employees, I, I don't want to say I'm, I, I, I wasn't the bestest of boss, bosses, I guess. <laughs> so it's, I, I just don't have a ton of experience as far as, that was really the only experience I've had with somebody who's, who's come ask me to, increase pay it's something you know it's it's something where you can do a reward system so and i say a reward system um it's it's kind of like a bonus system 
to where you have a certain amount, you know, again, you're going to have to figure out all your, your, your problem and overhead stuff like that, but you're going to hold a certain amount aside and you're going to reward them on whether it's a monthly basis or a quarterly basis or a yearly basis. So, and I'm just going to throw these out there. Let's say you have a hundred dollars, uh, you know, labeled for labor on a job. And what you're going to do is you're going to come in at $50 of that is going to go to the, to your employee. You spend that $50, but then you have another $50 that you're going to set aside and that's going to be your bonus pay. And, uh, or once a month, you're going, to, you're going to come to a meeting or whatever, have a monthly meeting, quarter meeting, meeting, and you're going to go back and you're going to look at all these jobs and you're going to say, Hey, worker, you excellent job, no callback, whatever. Here's your quarterly bonus. And you take percent of that 50%. So 25% of that, and you're going to give to a quarterly bonus. And then at the end of the year, you're going to do the same thing. We're going to have a year in party. Hey, guess what? We got so many five-star ratings or whatever. Now you're going to take the remainder of that and you're going to, you're going to drop that into a, into a bonus. And employees like to see things like that. Um, sometimes it's not about the money. Um, give them a day off. You know, it's somebody, if, if somebody came to me and, um, or I, or I see an employee that's, you know, it's, it looks like he's struggling a little bit, little thing that helps, you know, a bonus or, Hey, uh, a mental break, give them a day off, take a Friday off. Hey, the weather's nice. I know we could be staying in, but guess what? No work is going to happen to, so take it off, go fishing, do whatever you want. Um, little things like that is a long way. I know when I was, um, uh, working, we would get year end, we'd get bonuses, get year end gifts. And we, I mean, I have some, uh, crystal, I forget what the name of this crystal is, but the company sent us this crystal glasses and you sit there going, I, I don't use them. I don't need them, but it's, it's more the thought that counts. And then they got into this gift process to where you would get an email and says, hey, go pick a gift for this. This is what we can send you. And I, I ended up getting golf clubs one year because that's <laughs> you this list of you, know, you can got a tee or gloves or whatever. Um, and it's just little things like that that employees, I don't want to say they value more than money, but um, – and I think Joe Everest does a good job at this. And I think uh, Sean King does a good good at it too. Where, um, and matter of fact, Will I think does it too. Where he on the what Fridays he hands out ice cream or something like that, or he'll take uh, snacks to him on on the yeah, job. Yeah. Um, little stuff like that. Just go, hey, yeah, it's not extra. You're not making an extra five bucks an hour or whatever it might be. But it, it does uh, it does go a long way as far as employee morale, and I think that's kind of kind of what you're after in a situation like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I, I have always told people the same thing. You know, there's in in every industry as a laborer, a laborer only makes so much. Um, 
where laborers, and, and this is true if you work for a, a $20 billion construction company, the laborer will only make so much. You've got to become either an equipment operator or a supervisor or a manager or sales. And when you start adding on those responsibilities, that's when you become much more valuable to the company. And that's why those guys make tons more money because they're, they're worth it and they become more valuable. Uh, that doesn't take away from a fantastic craftsman, but really just the way the economy and the world works is when you take on more responsibility, you become worth more. So Walt Dennis has a funny story. He says, good employees are hard to find in our area. They will take your stain and do a side job on their own. They want to work half the day and want money as if they work the full day. Um, that happens sometimes. I mean, we've had guys do stuff like that, but most of most mostly our guys are just top notch. We've our, we're our team's fantastic. They work tons of hours, and there's good people out there. They are, so that's the way it goes. But again, I think it comes back to if you want employees, you got to be competitive. So um, the tables have turned. You know, from I think from the days of firing everybody and. And, and I think, I think people, employees are more appreciated now, I think, than they used to be. If you've got good folks. Yeah, that's the, there's that fine line of, of being competitive in your, in your industry and, and paying your employees well. It's, there's a, there's not a, a big gap in between. I mean, if you can get that, yeah. You can, I mean, if it, when you, when you think about it, your employees are your, are, are the people in the trenches. This is what the, the client sees. And a lot of people own, um, uh, you know, staying companies, they don't even, a lot of them don't even, they might be 25% invested in that company. They're not going to client. They're not going to talk to the client. They have the sales team. They um, you know, you, you really, the, the customer doesn't really see him, but, uh, in situations like that, you really have to, that's one thing that if you find an employee that is a, is a rock star, you're going to have to pay them because that's, that's what, uh, that's what the public is. So, and I, I think that that's the case with, with any industry you're in is you, you want to pay the person who who uh who puts on the show so yeah and it's full circle it goes right back to that you got to get your pricing right you got to know what to charge so you can pay um, yep that's the way it goes i know walt dennis is gonna he's gonna have somebody show up at his doorstep one day that's a fantastic person so i'm just waiting for that to happen he'll have some good folks show up for him that's the way it is Kenny, what, uh, let's see, we've done, have you got any just tips or tricks you just want to throw out there? Talk about your tip selection. What's your go-to tip nowadays for, for regular side-by-side -side privacy fence and then say, um, not shadow box, but board on board. Uh, right now I'm, I run the 1223 tip on my um i think that's what you're asking on a side by side um okay well i do a lot more board on board fence so this see some posts uh and and 
pictures on on the Facebook groups, and <laughs> it makes me crack up a little bit when I see some of these fences go up. <clears throat> Here in DFW, if you see a side-by-side dog-eared fence, the first thought that I see is, or think of is this person doesn't have a whole lot of money. And that's because here in DFW, the majority of the fences are on boards or top cap trim, eight foot tall. Um, and so that's what I'm, 75% of the fences that I do are, you know, board on board fences. And uh, I started using the 23 tip uh, in order to hit the edges of those those top boards, that's when I started using that 1223 tip, and um, it, it it flood coats it. It similar to the the 12 volt, not exactly, but uh, but uh, that reason why I started using that is because that 12 or 24 inch pattern was able for for me to get out and, and hit the edges of those boards. Um, when I'm spraying a, a shadow boxes. I did, I do maybe one or two shadow boxes a year. So, um, I'll use a 1221 tip on, on those, try to hit the, just, I, I want to do a one pass on those, um, when I'm doing that. So the issue that I was running into with my uh, board on board fences is I spray this way and then I have to turn around and spray this way in order to get those edges. And it was just, uh, yeah, Pain. I, I, into uh, Sherwin Williams uh, down at their service store, and I went in there and I said, "Hey, I need to pick up a twelve twenty one tip." And he goes, "What machine are you using?" I said, "A Graco three ninety." And he goes, it, "You're not going to be able to, to paint with that." And I said, "I'm not painting. I'm staining." And he goes, "Oh, you you don't want a tip. You're going to want something like a four eleven or a four oh nine or whatever and I I'm sitting there in the back of my head I'm thinking just sell me a tip don't ask me any questions <laughs> I'm gonna do what yeah. I'm gonna do and that's that's how I ended in that tip was I just went down there and I bought a 1221 or 1223 bought the tips put them on and I mean I think I paid I want to say 30 40 bucks tips and it was one of those things where hey if they work they work if they don't I'm just throwing them in the trash I don't care um, and, and they ended up working for me. So uh, I do notice a lot of people's using them, which is great. I, I think it's great. I, and I don't know if it was you or maybe it was Walt. Walt was saying they're coming out with a, a different tip. Um, start to the 1223. But I'm not sure I, what. I, yeah, I can't talk about it. Sorry. But you're on the right path. Bam Bam knows about it. I don't. I don't know what the deals are, but I know we've we've had to sign an NDA uh, on something that's they're testing. So, don't know what the deal is, but maybe 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 the industry is hearing us stain guys. Maybe the voice is getting loud enough. So we'll see. I'm excited for that. We'll see what happens. Maybe a total flop, though. You never know. <clears throat> So let's see here. I think, Kenny, that's about it, man. I mean, I I, we, I could go all night with you. Our questions are coming in. Sl they're slowing down. And um, I think the main thing is just go out there and stain something. If you're in the business, I think it's clear that you can start from with a $400 power washer and you can you can get 
going and you can turn it into being the stain man one day. So I think that's what it's all about. Just get out there and do it. Don't be afraid. It's, you know, everybody, you got to start somewhere. So here's your question. This is a Kenny question. Is there ever an appropriate time to mix mineral spirits in stain? <clears throat> Specifically a stain like uh, what, you, what you're doing or, or a stain without much solvent in it. Yes. I, I, and I'm, I'm, for me, yes. Um, I'm going to use mineral spirits if I have, um, well, and here's a perfect example. If you look at your hardwood stains, like your um, Brazilian or exotic woods, they're going to have a little bit more mineral spirits in them. Um, so when I'm doing a pre-stain, let's say, and I got some pre-stain lumber drying out right now, um, I'm going to use a little bit more mineral spirits in that. So I get a little deeper penetration, but it also dries a little bit quicker. So I can start the lumber a little quicker. Um, if I'm doing a brand new deck, I'm going to use a little bit more. I'm going to put a little bit more mineral spirits into it so I can get a little bit uh, deeper penetration. Now that's saying I'm thinning the product, but I am, if a deck calls for 10 gallons of stain, I might take that 10 gallons of stain and I'm just going to add maybe a total of a gallon of mineral spirits into that stain. I'm still going to use that 10 gallons of stain. I'm just now using 11 gallons of product. I'm putting the same amount of stain on it. Mineral spirits eventually is going to evaporate off, but it does help it penetrate a little bit more. The problem is, is a lot of companies will come in and they will thin their stain using mineral spirits in order to get go further, less money. And they will that was a big issue that uh, I've seen with uh people using seal uh they were having that problem they were thinning ready seal um people thinning sustain and it was just so it would stretch that product further and they didn't have to spend as much money that's an, uh, another example of how cutthroat dfw is <laughs> so yeah but yeah that's yeah. those would be uh reasons why i'm going to use uh put a little bit of minerals to it the other would be so let's say uh, you're spraying during the winter time and um, uh, you're wanting to use a pump up spray and your stain is real thick you can put mineral spirits in there and that's going to fit out just a, enough to get it to a pump up sprayer mm -hmm. he's asking here on a what about it's the same so well, um I'll, without getting into too much detail, I'll put more mineral spirits in my stain when I'm running against something that has a retaining wall or concrete. Um, I, I want it to, I want it to penetrate more than what I want it to run down. So I, I'm, I'm doing less of a flood coating, uh, in a situation like that, but, um, you're saying new specific. On a new fence, no. On a, well, then again, it depends on the weather. So I might, in the wintertime, I might add a little bit of mineral spirits to my stain. And that's just to kind of 
and, and again, it depends on how cold it is. It's it doesn't get real cold here in in Texas, um, so I'm not going to run a uh, a high VOC or a high solvent based stain. Um, anyway, I, I, I will put some mineral spirit. I think what what needs to happen is the name needs to be changed, just like the guys did with Penetrol. I mean, it was a solvent, but they, they said they didn't say this is to thin the product. They said this is to help the product penetrate or, like you said, over a retaining wall. Retaining walls can be tough sometimes because you've got a slow, dry oil that's running slow down the fence. It's slowly running down. And if you can if you can add a solvent into that stain and that circumstance, it can dive right in and flash dry and you don't have to deal with the drips for the next three hours you can get that process over with quicker but i i wouldn't thin stain for for just to thin it i would do just like you're saying if it's too cold for your sprayer thin it down a little bit use the same amount if you're on a rock wall that makes sense yeah but i'm yeah, and that's that. You're exactly right. It's what I'm looking for when I'm working over a retaining wall or or something. Is I'm looking for something to flash dry. Is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to drip uh, on there. But um, but on the new lumber, I'm I, same reason. I, I kind of want it to flash dry. Um, I know some of the stains that, um, and I'm sure you've seen. Some, I know here in DFW, you you've probably seen quite a few of them where they're pre-stained lumber and when they put them up there's all these little dots all over it little polka dots and what's happening are people are are dipping the pickets and then there's some and that stain just kind of pools in those areas and when you put them up i mean it just looks like a leopard fence is what it looks like um so there's there's ways to get around that and what it is is to put a little bit of solvent into your uh, into your mix when you're mixing it. So, yep. Yep. Stacking it flat. That's the way yeah. it goes. I mean, they, they were basically right out of the dip tank and then just going with it. Uh, you, when we were up in Springfield, we looked at Joe's setup and he, that's kind of how my setup is, is we stack them, uh, vertically. So it just kind of all runs down and then you're not putting the full weight of a picking off of each other. So, yeah, so so he what he's talking about is we're stacking lumber like this when it's wet. So so it can gravity will pull it down. If you stack it like this, you got a problem. Everything just can't go anywhere. Yep. When we go like this, it runs down. Just like staining a fence versus a deck. You got to back brush this, you don't back brush this. Tell me about back brushing, Kenny. I I see a lot of guys in the industry, we're not doing it yet. But a lot of guys in the industry are going to telling us that with all the brands, it doesn't matter what brand, there's somebody from every brand doing it to back brush over and over again that it, it it looks better on treated pine, it makes the stain go further, it breaks surface tension, it makes the stain last longer. What are your thoughts on it? And and give me your thoughts on it with if, if you were looking at it from above and then give me your thoughts on it from a stain contractor dealing with the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And those may be the same idea, may be different. Say that again, Caleb. I'm I'm losing you there. 
Okay. Tell me about back brushing. So what are your thoughts on back brushing in as, as a whole? And then, um, and then maybe you bring in some of that Dallas Fort Worth market. Maybe your market oh, doesn't allow brushing. it. Maybe it does on fencing specifically. So yeah, back brushing. The only thing I back brush are decks. That's the only thing. Well, decks and garage doors. That's the only thing I back brush. Um, and it's a lot of it has to do, um, you know, the market pricing. It's, you know, we could back brush, but in order for us to stay competitive, we, we, have, to, um, we have to cut our costs somewhere. And so that in the labor side of it, you know, you can only, you can take and, and lower your, your material price so far. Um, after that, it's, 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 it's all based on labor. So if, if I to, and, and I probably, I apply my stain, I, I don't want to say I do it different than everybody else, but I do two coats. And so I'll come through and I'll, I'll spray one coat on the fence and then come back and spray what I color coat and that's it it gives me i mean it gives me real good coverage and i and i get uh you know five to seven years out of the stain so uh you know i i see people talking yeah we're brushing in order to uh to get longevity out of it and uh, decks all back brush i mean I, I do i have to do that anyway because we get puddles on the decks and i have i brush those in um, but fences, it's, it's one of those things. If I to, if I were to back buck, brush fences, uh, I'm going to have to raise my prices to a point to where I won't be doing fences anymore. And so, uh, here in DFW, I don't think you're going to find a lot of people who do, uh, back brushing. Um, you're, you're, uh, I know, yeah, Will says that he back brushes everything. Um, he, he does, again, he does, what was it, decks? Um, and so, and he has a system for it. His guys can, can go, I mean, they can go in and sand a deck in two hours where it's going to take me a day and a half to do. So he got the system set up for that. Um, but it, it, it's one of those things, DFW, it's, we could do it, but I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not a big fan yeah. of back braces. Yeah, I agree. We have thought about it and considered it. And before we do it, I'm going to have to go out myself and back brush some fences. So we'll see what happens. But, but I am curious, is there a U.S. Forest Product Lab study on that? So I may, I may look that up and see because there's got to be some data well, on it does, somewhere. So, yeah, so back brushing, it, it basically breaks the surface tension and allows you to better penetration. Yeah. So... There is, you know, there there's substance behind that, it, but when it comes down to it, uh, I mean, you can <laughs> you can tell me all the benefits of, of back brushing on a fence. I'll agree with you, but when it comes to it, uh, a, a lot of it has with 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 labor expense. Yeah. And so it's, you, you know, you gotta, you have to, and, and that's why I use an oil-based oil penetrating stain. I mean, if I was using a water-based, now, if I'm doing a solid color job, I'm going to have to back brush. I'm going to have to back brush rails uh, or a water-based job. 
I'm going to have to back brush all that. Um, but I, I, I'm, I can't tell you when the last time I used a way semi-transparent stain. It's been a long time. So. Yep. I'm going to look something yep. up real Waltz, quick. You do a good job, flood coating. You don't need to need to back brush. So, and he's, he's absolutely 100% correct. Okay, so here's what the U.S. Forest Product Lab says on it, and and this is uh, an example of a lap mark from improper application of a semi-transparent stain, cedar siding finish application. So, back brush. It says uh, if you choose to apply the finish by spraying or with a roller, brush the surface immediately after application. Back brushing is essential to ensure the finish is spread evenly and worked into the wood surface. Um, I, I still don't think that's uh, that's not the answer we're looking for, but we need to do some studies on. No, this. but it's but this is where so you you start getting into your different types of states, right? Definitely, yeah, so, right. Your coatings. What we what we do that you're using the I same mean, type of stains. If I'm dealing do. with something like Cabot's or Olympic, I'm going to have to back brush. Yeah. So what we notice is that. That our stain, if you if you stain a fence, it'll push the oil will push water out the backside of the fence if the fence is too wet. It'll go all the way through the board. So I'm kind of right there with you. That's why we don't back brush, but I'm still curious about it. So, so there's Walt's comment. Yeah, any of your film forming stains, you'll you'll want to you'll want to back brush. Um And, and those are the ones that I try not to deal with, um, but your lead coating stains. And I think that's, you know, with Forest Labs, that's where, uh, that's probably where they're getting their information from or their, their studies from is if you don't want those lap marks, yeah, you got to brush it in. But a flood yeah. coating stain, you can, it, it's going to work itself in. I agree. I know Walt's got another question for us. Yeah, I'll post I'll post that link up for the uh, U.S. Force Products Lab here shortly. I think that's it, man. What are you? Let's see here. All right, here's a big question: Are you coming in February? Are you able to make it up here to Staining University in February? I will be there. What? I will be. Do there. we need to do? What do we need to do that we don't normally do at this class? What would be awesome if we if we did it? We have to uh, find a way around Mother Nature. <laughs> have we, so have I've you got put on a class that it hasn't rained at yet. Yeah, so I've got I've got a um, I've got an area that we can do undercover if it rains and we can stain, and I think. <laughs> They're head to head here. We're going to find out who's who treats us better. But um, Titan and Graco are both considering coming. And what we specifically want out of those guys to show off some new cool stuff. But also, I want a full from the horse's mouth how to properly maintain your sprayer pump in about a fifteen minute segment. If if we could if we could learn that, that would be really cool. What their recommendations are, because I've heard if you hear it from them, it's it's pretty interesting. So that's going to be a lot of fun. 
but we're we're planning it every day. Ron Musgraves and the whole Power Wash guys are going to be there too. So there'll be some cool. Though you said there's no, not typically vendors at these expos. We're going to have some. We're going to have some vendors at this one this year, um, just to show cool stuff. Power new new Power Wash equipment, new sprayers, new brushes. I'm hoping to have a new. If Ford trucks are listening, I'm hoping to have a new Ford electric truck there to show off. And then maybe a maybe a Ford Transit van to show off, uh, just so people can see it. I think it'd be just cool to just look at you know where the industry's going, and see what that's like. Can we run a stain sprayer off of a F one fifty Lightning? You know. Oh, well, I believe that is going to do it for us. Yeah, can you like where to. can everybody find you? Sorry, Kenny, our delay is so much. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it's we're getting quite a bit of delay here. It might be, we get a lot of wind here. We, 20 mile an hour, like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, getting a lot of delay. But, but yeah, I would be interested in some of, uh, you know, Graco or Titan and stuff like that, bringing their equipment in. The other thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but more of companies bringing their employees in. Uh, and maybe, I, I don't know if you want to, I don't know how long this class is going to last or, or, or what maybe um, having a lot of, a lot of time when I'm, you know, you're, you're talking to people after the class or, or, you know, at lunch or, or supper or whatever you, uh, I get a lot of people saying, I wish we had more hands on. Um, and again, the weather has a lot to do with it. it's, you know, up in Springfield, we were unfortunate that it's just rained the whole day. So, um, or the whole day or so, um, it would be nice to some of the, some of the information that you can feed to owner, owner, operator, maybe your marketing, um, how to price. <laughs> all that good stuff, your back office, your stuff. But then also have where if, if they have employees that they can bring up, we can take them out in the field and get a little more hands-on, whether it's with equipment or spraying or what it is, uh, maybe a little bit more into depth with chemicals and, and stuff like that. So uh, that's one of the things that I've noticed about some of the, the classes afterward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think more hands-on is very important. If we can get the weather to cooperate, we've had a deck. We were going to stay in there for two years in a row and the weather was bad twice. So we're, we're we've, yeah. I think we've got some, I think we've got a way around that this year. So we're just going to plan for the worst and just, just do it as if it was pouring down rain and it won't be an issue. Then we'll stay in a real fence. We'll stay in a deck. Uh, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So, um, that's it. Get some hands-on stuff. We're hoping, uh, we're, we're thinking it's going to be somewhere, I think 300 on the low side and probably closer to 500 people this year. It's going to be a monstrosity of event. So can't wait for it. Me neither. I like going up there. Good food. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
That is true, man. Well, Kenny, I don't want to hold you all night. I know it's 5.59. We can probably shut it off at 6. Where can everybody find you at? Obviously in the Facebook group, but where else can we find you? Uh, well, we are uh, – you can find me Facebook group. Uh, I do Facebook page. I don't really post to it. I got a TikTok account. don't know if you guys do the TikTok or not, but I'm hip to that. Uh, and then I got the website. Um www.stainman.net it does need updated so he knows real good at updating web pages i'd be interested so but uh yeah i would pass out my phone number but if i do that my phone's gonna pop so <laughs> yeah well let's do it again sometime and we'll just take your top 10 questions and throw them up there so you can refer everybody back to this and and uh slow slow down some of those questions get them out there all right. Yeah, I try to I try to be as helpful as I can on the on the Facebook page. So, I mean, if you got if any guys got questions, throw them out there. If I can't answer them, there's gosh, there's tons of people. How many folks are on that page? Three thousand. Close to four. Yeah, it's close to four thousand now. Out there. Yeah, that's a lot. Somebody will surely be able to. Answer. Yeah, just the search function alone is, is worth its weight in gold. It is a massive resource, um, massive resource. I learn something every time I go in there. So awesome. So I'm going to pitch the Staining University again because people are asking. Staining University in Nashville, Tennessee, February 24th, 25th, and 26th. It's a hands-on training. It's a business training. Um, going to be a ton of people there, Five close to 500 people. There are going to be some vendors there. We're going to hopefully – I'm going to go nuts and try to get Grant Cardone or a new F, the new Lightning F-150 or something crazy there. So just to get something wild that you haven't seen before. And uh, it'll be a blast. So Kenny will be there. Everybody will be there. So come check us out and go check out stainman.net. Come check Kenny's site out if you're in Dallas. All right, man. Well, Kenny, you ready to go eat supper? I am. I am ready. Me too, the dog, man. dog is ready. Been staring at me this probably 30 minutes wait for me to go open the door for him yep there you go all right man well kenny i really appreciate your time and so does everybody else and we'll see you on the next one all right like plan thanks for having me on all right man have a great night see you